Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika and this is accidentalmuslims.com. Today we have a very special guest, Brother Yusuf Muhammad. Yusuf, welcome. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Brother Khalil. How's it? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. And we also have obviously our co-host Zahid Parker. Assalamu alaikum Khalil, uh, Yusuf. Uh, I'm very excited for today's episode. Uh, accidentalmuslim.com is uh, Showcasing current and future leaders, and uh, uh, the person sitting next to me, <laughs> the person sitting next to me is someone who, uh, without even knowing, uh, he's been a mentor to me through, <laughs> throughout my relationship with him. So I'm very excited about today's uh, show. Right. So welcome, Yusuf. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, uh, it, it describe you if you have to describe yourself in three words. Mm. What would it be? Three words. A traveler seeking shade. Traveler. Seeking shade. Yeah. Explain. It's based on the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Where he said, be in this world as if you were a traveler. And he stopped under a tree to take some rest and some provision. But then carried on on his journey. And I think we all, you know, in this world, if we, we should con- consider ourselves in this world as a traveler. This world is not the end. It's just uh, a means to an end. It's our path which we have to uh, traverse uh, to get to the ultimate destination, which, inshallah, we all hope to be in Jannah one day. Inshallah. So we all know you as Rosmit. <laughs> um, and we all still remember Rosmit. Yeah, so tell us about that. I mean, Coming out of Rosmeet, I know Rosmeet closed down, but how did you, how did you know what to do afterwards? You know, because you're coming from, uh, you inherited that that business. Mm. What was what was your feelings then? You know, closing down Rosmeet and then. Yeah, that was a big big change. Eh? It was actually a big decision to make, because uh, I grew up there. I was born in Rosmeet. Uh, many people maybe don't know, but we were born before the group areas forced us to move. So for the first three years of my life, I lived in Claremont. I lived at the shop uh, before it was renovated. And uh, my, my life, basically, I probably spent more time at Rosmead than I did at home uh, because we went to school nearby. And after school, we used to go, go to the shop and spend the rest of the afternoon at the shop until the evening and go home with my parents just to go and sleep basically and the next day it was back to Claremont and, mm. and that, that's how it was weekends uh, I used to spend working and my father used to ensure that as I'm sure most uh, youth that were in my position uh, spent their weekends it wasn't going out with friends you'd spend your weekend working at the shop mm. for no wages by the way <laughs> but uh, you'd have to come and work uh, and I think I mean, there was wisdom in that my father always used to tell me Rahimullah he always used to say we'll uh, I'll see the benefit in that when I'm older. You know, when you're young, you think to yourself, what, why must I be working on weekends? My friends are going out and having fun on weekends, but I have to work. And, and looking back now, I can see that there definitely was wisdom and that there's a lot of benefit which I uh, obtained from working on weekends besides the responsibility that it teaches you. Just spending time with my parents. Also, you, you, you learn the value of things. You realize where things come from. You learn not to take things for granted. Coming back to the decision to sell was by no means an easy decision. Uh, we had we had been, oh my, the property had been in our family for nearly a hundred years. My grandfather bought those uh, plots. There were eight plots which he bought in the early 1900s for, I think it was, uh, if I remember correctly, my dad told me it was five pounds a plot. Wow. Yeah, he bought eight plots there. And that he bought not being able to sign his name or even speak English. or, or Definitely he couldn't read English. But uh, so it was in our family. My father took over the business at one stage. and He developed it from a small little corner shop into a self-service store and then into the supermarket. And there are the different departments within the supermarket. And yeah, it, it was as many people you know have told me and uh, we've come to learn it was like an institution you know it's Sunday it's a traditional Sunday stop for our community and that for me that was the highlight of the week to meet all the community on the Sunday you know you have people that you 
that you see on a regular basis on a Sunday, just the whole community spirit, mm-hmm. because people used to sometimes wait for roles, I'm sure, <laughs> you know, uh, I still remember those days when pressure is on to bring the roles out while the customers are waiting, but, uh, you know, that the business is one aspect of it, but I, I miss the community spirit, that's what I, I tell most people that I meet today, there's two aspects that I miss, the one is working in the bakery. I used to actually enjoy working in the bakery. I love the creative side of working in the bakery. And I miss the customers. But there's two things that I don't miss, and that's the hours, and I don't miss the stress <laughs> of dealing with staff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we decided it was a decision we came to, long story short, um, where, you know, I consulted with my brothers and my mother and, we realized that uh, you know, all good things do come to an end, and sometimes a change is good. And when we decided to sell, it was just at the right time. Alhamdulillah, you know, the, I think a week after uh, we had sold the, the property, um, there was this talk of global economic crisis in 2008. And even the purchaser at the time told us, you know, if we had to come to him with that proposal, just... A week later, they would never have accepted it. So I look back at it and you know, we believe that everything is ultimately in Allah's hands. Um, it was the right decision. Um, it wasn't easy, but looking back, I think it's given me more time to pursue other avenues. Uh, it's given me more time to spend with my family. Uh, just a little bit more balance. Sayyid, what do you... Recall, what do you remember? What's your favorite thing about Rosbeat? My first interaction with Rosbeat is my sister actually worked for Yusuf, I recall, in the late 90s or mid 90s, I can't recall. And what I used to like about going to Rosbeat was that soft rolls, right? Mm. (laughs) You know, that smell, it's just awesome. But more than that, one thing, once you taste that roll, and you know, Yusuf's mentioning, you know, his father told him, you know, you always realize the wisdom later in the years, but you know, I always have that taste of that soft roll. Mm. Not just the taste, but the quality of it. And uh, maybe my question to Yusuf is um, quality uh, over quantity. <laughs> um, what advice would you give some of our youth out there, our listeners out there, uh, in terms of uh, whatever they're doing, yes. uh, in terms of their focus uh, in that regard? Yeah. Um, because I believe quality is something which you're, you're the, uh, is synonymous with Rosmin. Uh, now I, you know, you, you, you struck the nail on the head. You know, my, my dad always used to tell me, that you never compromise on quality. Um, what you sell, what you make, because we had uh, a butchery where we used to make our own cold meats as well. And most people remember Rosmin for the hot rolls, like Zahir said, and the spiced beef, or, you know, on a Sunday. And um, even the polonies uh, but, and the bakery, whatever we produced or manufactured, my father always used to emphasize that whatever you make must be something that you would like to eat. Uh, and the, the the principle behind that is, you know, uh, to to give the best possible product to your client, and you can that principle is equally uh, applicable to you know, any sphere of business. Do the best that you can. It is actually a sunnah, as uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that Allah subhanahu wa taala loves those who, when they do something, they do it with excellence or they do it to the best of their capability. And I'd like to believe that that's what we did. The recipes we had in the bakery, my father uh, was, uh, you know, self-taught. He never he never went to a culinary school or to a sc- uh, confectionery school to go and learn baking. He learned from a confectioner, a German confectioner, that was a rep for one of the companies that used to come after hours and teach him because he seen my father had the passion for learning how to bake. And he you know, gave my father the basics of how to make bread and rolls and so on. And uh, all the recipes that we had were our own recipes. It wasn't any premix like many bakeries today. All they they buy is ready-made premixes that they just add water and yeast to it. You know, all the other ingredients are in the bag. But uh, we had our own recipes, uh, which I still have, you know, I give it to you. I'll have to shoot you afterwards. <laughs> there, are, there are definitely recipes that um, the, the recipes for bakery for for bread. It's it's basically the it's standard recipes, but it's what you do with it as well. You know, as uh, you would know when you, 
like they say, many chefs or even your mother will tell you, you know, the secret is in the love. hand. Yeah, love. yeah, the love. You know, the mm. secret ingredient is when you do something. When you, when you do something with with passion, when you do something with a good intention, it shows in the end product, mm. irrespective of what it is, whether it's a role or any service that you're providing. You know, it, it shows. I'm still trying to understand. So, when you finish matric, did yeah. you know that? Your dad's gonna force you to do the business, <laughs> or did you did you want to do something else? Uh, when I when I left uh, school, I um, I wanted to actually become a teacher. Okay. Strangely enough, and uh, because I was um, and I was good at maths and physics, I thought, okay, I, I want to become a, a maths or science teacher. You know? And after spending a year at campus. I realize now, you know, that perhaps teaching is not for me because uh, business, somehow, even though I didn't study business subjects at school because our school really didn't offer you know, business uh, subjects. Like at Livingston, they never offered economics and the accounting class it was only limited to one class. So if you didn't get into that class from grade six, or, I mean grade seven, then you wouldn't have an opportunity to switch to accounting later. So I ended up not doing accounting or economics. But uh, business, having grown up in a business, it's like they say, business is in your blood, you know. And then I realized, okay, I should, after spending a year at UCT, um, and also realizing that perhaps the campus environment wasn't for me for various reasons, I real I thought to myself, okay, give you NISA a try, and then I switched to uh, BCom. So I completed my BCom degree through UNISA. And uh, but I while that also gave me the opportunity to work in the business, and it was at the stage also my dad, although he was active, you know, right until the day he took his last breath, Alhamdulillah, he was. Uh, it g- gave him also an opportunity by myself and my brothers being more active in the business. It gave him an opportunity also to, you know, do other things which he also had a passion for. He was very passionate about community work. And uh, gave him an opportunity to free up some of his time uh, from being in the business to do uh, that community work, which he was also very passionate about, and uh, you know, explore other other ways to serve uh, the community. Oh, what I understand is when they were closing, it was me down. Yeah. I think the foundation was set. His interaction with community, his father's legacy of wanting to free up time to work with the community or do community projects. And uh, Yusuf can correct me here, but the, the seeds you, you or the foundation you laid, mm. um, not just in the business but with the community, mm. did that inspire you to to, to continue, or, or, or did it rather did it inspire you to 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 find another route in that regard? Mm. To to be honest, at the time um, when we sold the business, I was uh, undecided about which particular area that I wanted to. Um, you know, what type of career I'd want to pursue. Mm. Um, but somehow, you know, like you say, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides sometimes opportunities that you wouldn't imagine yourself uh, engaging in or getting involved in. But um, I had an opportunity to uh, also work with the community, but in the field of project management. Uh, I've, I wasn't, I mean, I've never studied project management as such, but... Being in a business, you know, you have to wear many hats at the same time, especially in a family-run business, supermarket. You have to... Project management is almost something you do uh, subconsciously or not... uh, You're doing it, but not as a project manager, so to say, because you have to be on top of so many things at the same time and you have to coordinate, you know, many processes that are running simultaneously in the business uh, in order to ensure that things run smoothly. So somehow project management um, was something that came almost naturally to me. Uh, and <coughs> there was an opportunity that came about where I could uh, use or apply the skill uh, which I had acquired uh, in a field that also benefited the community. Um, at the time, uh, myself and a friend of mine decided to go into partnership. Uh, our idea was to go into construction and the renovation because you know 2008 uh, there was this big property boom and people uh, um, you know buying properties and making huge some you know uh, profits on, on 
reselling their properties. So at the time we thought, okay, property investment, because we sold the business and I had some money to invest in properties. But then, before we could invest in any properties, uh, we got an opportunity, we registered basically um, on the Department of Environmental Affairs website as a service provider for project management, without knowing that anything would come from it. And uh, we just heard that they were busy, you know, there was an ad in the paper, and it was part of our strategy to look in, you know, wherever there was possibility for us to do something. We were like entering into uncharted waters, so you're just, you know, doing whatever you think is an opportunity for you to do some business. And then uh, we registered on the department's website, and I think within two weeks they contacted us, and they wanted some more information, which we provided to them. Then they appointed us to a a relatively small project, probably to see what our capacity was and what our capability was. And uh, we executed that project pretty well, I think, because as soon as we were done with that, we got another project. Um, And it was part of the government's expanded public works program where we deal with the poorest of the poor communities. And that in itself was... Um, it was very uh, an enlightening experience for me to go and work. Uh, like I said, uh, my dad has been involved in community work, and uh, but myself personally, I wasn't really involved in working in the communities, like the real poor communities. When I say real poor communities, I mean the real poorest of the poor communities. And uh, it was basically providing them skills training, uh, job opportunities, but also sk- facilitating skills uh, transfer to these communities. And it's something which I found, and I got some pleasure in, out of it, and I enjoyed it. So, you know, I got involved in that sphere, and then there were a few other opportunities that came along that I got involved in. Um, but at the same time, it, gave, it just, I found it... Uh, it opened my horizons to, to other opportunities. You know, growing up in the business, you're only involved in running a supermarket business. You don't see what other opportunities are out there. Mm-hmm. And you don't really engage, uh, I'd say maybe, with sectors of the community that I had an opportunity to engage with through these uh, these other projects. Um, yeah, so, uh, like I said, nothing was planned, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had some plan for me. Because uh, being involved in this, I was able to keep myself occupied with some work, which I think was important, you know. And, and at the same time, it gave me time to be involved in community work, uh, and which is also a passion of mine. It's uh, working for Islam and Da'wah. There's one last question on, yeah. on the Razmit. Yes. So will we, will, we be, will we be seeing some sort of revival, revival of the brand? <laughs> sort of a, a food truck or a recipe book? No, no, not, I don't think a recipe book, but um, I, I always had in the back of my mind that once my my children have grown up sufficiently, that you know I don't need to spend, uh, I can't say as much time with them, but uh, I, th- I think your, your children do. That, that was one of the reasons, actually, one of the main factors that prompted or pushed me in the direction of selling the the business. Was the balance? And that was my yeah, the balance and my family. You know, because running a business like that, uh, running a business like we had, it takes between 16 to 17 hours a day on average. Um, weekends, I never see in my family sometimes from a Saturday afternoon. I never see my kids until Monday morning um, because I leave work on a Saturday afternoon. I get home Saturday night and they're sleeping. I have to leave early on a Sunday morning before they awake and back on a Sunday evening when they're sleeping. And only Monday morning would be the next time I'd seen him. But, um, uh, you know, the, and that was one of the reasons that made me think, now, you know, there the has to be, I have to choose. It's, it's like a choice that I had, you know. I wouldn't want my kids one day to say, you know, my father had a wonderful business, but uh, they didn't know who their father was. And especially in the times we are living today, I think it's become, it's so much more important for for fathers and mothers, but specifically fathers, to be there for their families, to be there for their children, to spend time with them, to be a role model for them. I'm not to say I'm the ideal role model, but I try, you know, in my in, as best I can, to be there for for my for my children. And uh, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, once they've they through the, the critical path, uh, perhaps uh, opening a Rosmi is definitely a, you know an option on the horizon. Yeah.
Sério, ele deu o BAP. I'll be um, putting my CV in the player style, definitely. definitely. You should, yeah, if I may, uh, you mentioned uh, quite an interesting thing, you know, yeah. you were working 16 hours yeah. and you part of the reason is you gave up for because of you wanted to spend time with the kids. Mm. So uh, there's an issue of balancing and all that. Yeah. And I know from a personal experience that you, you like, you, you make time for cycling and hiking and all of those <laughs> sort of things. So yes. if someone is facing a young professional yeah. or a student, what advice would you give them in terms of finding the right balance? How would you go about making that decisions? You know, this is something which I've, again, I've experienced um, myself. When when I was involved at Rosmith, and all of you guys know that, because that's when we met. Mm-hmm. Right? We met when we still at Rosmith. And I, I believe that when when you when you try uh, to do something for Islam, it doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances are. Sometimes the, the, I mean, you are put in a situation and I believe sometimes that being in that situation is a test for you. And despite the, the maybe the constraint or, or that you have on your time, the constraints that you have on your time, do you still make time to do something for Islam? And I believe that when you still try, Allah then puts barakah in your time, and He puts you in... This is my belief, right? He puts you in contact with people. Uh, I, I still say the barakah... The, part of the baraka of trying to do something this I mean like I said 16 17 hours a day was the reality but you know we used to meet there at the shop you remember when we first started out with our Islamic work we used to meet there uh, and plan out what we're going to do yeah. our activities we used to sit and plan the day in the, in the shop and uh, I, I used to notice that at the time you know when we used to run RIS and when we had the conferences running and I'm away from the shop, then the turnover used to increase. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, it's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. But I believe that when you make time for your, for Allah's deen, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of your needs. That is, I, I, have a, I have firm belief in that. You know, we, all, we are all busy. All of us uh, are occupied. And that's the nature of life today, that... You know, we we struggle to find time. But believe me, that when you make time to do something for Islam, purely for the sake of Allah, despite the difficulty, in, in fact, in the face of challenges, that's when you actually see barakah in your life. You see things, like positive things happening that you never, you know, you wouldn't be able to do it, but it, it, it somehow it comes into your life. Mm. Alhamdulillah. So you had a passion for obviously baking yes. community development yeah. youth development leadership mm. so what, what type what part time projects are you involved in I know you're involved in the Al-Quds Foundation as well yes now we actually involved I'm very involved at the moment in a branch of the Al-Quds Foundation it's the Youth for Al-Quds uh, also it's uh, as you said it's, it's part of youth development or youth uh, leadership development but specifically um, around the issue of Al-Quds. Uh, Al-Quds being, uh, at the center of Al-Quds being Masjid Al-Aqsa, you know, the third holiest masjid in Islam. And um, we believe the, neg- the neglected Qibla, you know, the first yes. Qibla, but the neglected masjid of the Muslims. Um, we believe that the Masjid Al-Quds uh, or Masjid Al-Aqsa is central to revival of the Ummah. And the history has shown that whenever Masjid al-Aqsa is safe and secure, the Ummah is safe and secure. And whenever Masjid al-Aqsa is under occupation and in danger, Ummah is almost uh, going through turmoil. And uh, we must you know, always keep in mind that we as Muslims, even here in South Africa, despite you know what challenges we face here, we have a responsibility to Masjid al-Aqsa. Um, and we have brothers and sisters in Palestine, in uh, Al-Quds, around Masjid al-Aqsa, that are fulfilling a responsibility, and not only on behalf of Palestinians, but on behalf of all Muslims in the world. And um, we believe our responsibility, or the message that we try and convey to the youth that are involved with youth with uh, youthful goods is that by fulfilling our duties here in South Africa we are actually assisting 
the liberation. We are contributing towards the liberation of Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, in fact, last week we had a program at uh, Muhammadiyah Primary School. And one of the important points which we emphasized was even the students, if they just develop the consciousness that by being a good student, by being obedient to their parents, by striving their utmost in, in, being, in doing their best at school, they are actually serving Islam. And through that, they are contributing towards the liberation of Masjid al-Aqsa. That's the type of message we, you know, we, we are trying to convey uh, through the youthful goods. And then also with uh, the Anur Center, we uh, involved in various other youth development programs. Because the youth, the youth is the future. And uh, when, when we see the challenges which our youth face are facing today, we have to do something about it. We are not going to do something about it. What type of society are we looking at uh, in the future? That's what society are our children going to grow up in? So we all have a, a role to play. And I believe that the most effective place or the most effective area for us to focus our attention is uh, in the youth who are going to be the mothers and fathers and leaders of tomorrow. And Zaidi, I think you can relate to that as well. You pursuing your, your your politics career as well. I mean, that's for, for the youth, for the future. No, definitely. I think if there's anything I learned from Yusuf in our interaction over the years is that uh, what we do now, an example is set for our, well, that time I didn't have kids, but uh, for the youth, we leave a legacy. And part of this legacy, which I believe firmly, is we need to leave a legacy of, of, of working for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because our ultimate goal is, as Muslims, is to is Jannah is to get into paradise and and enjoy, but we can't just get there without putting in our our, our effort. So I think uh, aspect of legacy uh, co- contributed in in my decision or, or want to, be, to become involved in politics at whatever level, whether it's in a party or at a lobby group or just on a on a on a committee sort of level, even from your neighbourhood, what sort of uh, uh, perspective being involved. Uh, is something which I believe is something which you can leave, uh, uh, you, or rather, let me put it this way: by being involved, you can leave a legacy for your kids, for the youth, for the future, and and, and that's something I learned from Yusuf uh, uh, throughout my interaction with him. And one of that legacies, if I can just lead on to that, is uh, is is the halakha to Quran, uh, Yusuf. Uh, can you perhaps talk to us about halakha and what it is, what it means to you? And uh, and how our youth, particularly, or anybody for that instance, uh, no matter their age, can benefit out of this halakha. Mm-hmm. I, I know this, this. I think of Yusuf. I think of Razmi, and I think of halakha. <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We always link each other to good, um, good thoughts. Inshallah. Yeah. No. Uh, to me, um, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, again, Alhamdulillah. You know, it's uh, like not by accident, but by Allah's plan, that I was the son of, of my father. Um, uh, really, if I, uh, if I think of his involvement from, from as young, and from, you know, as far as I, I can remember, he was involved in Islamic work. You know, that was, um, many people may, most people probably do know, but the one probably the biggest supporter of Ahmad Didat in the in the very beginning when he first started, and my father was known for that. Most people used to come to Rosmid for the booklets and the videos of Ahmad Didat and so on. And uh, besides Ahmad Didat, my father was very involved with uh, the late Sheikh Nazim of the MJC and the um, late Sheikh Khabir. Um, he used to be in wherever there was an opportunity to do some good for the community and again um, when I when I think of how things worked out you know there, there was a time when the Somalis at the time when the conflict in Somalia broke out the civil war where the first group of Somalis came to live in Claremont the first group of Somalis one of the first came to live in the Claremont area and my father heard about this group of Somalis that came and they were living at the masjid, I think it's Tichman Road Masjid and Clement Main Road Masjid. That's the first masjid that they were living in, you know, came to live in, in, in Clement, in, in Cape Town. And then my father went to go find out, you know, because he always used to tell me, 
his father came to, to South Africa with nothing but the shirt on his back. So he could relate to these people coming to South Africa with nothing. You know, they were forced to flee the country. They came to a strange land with not knowing what to expect. And I think because of his father, my grandfather's experience, my father had a special feeling towards any refugee. And it just so happened that the Somali community now, it's the first time people meet um, black African people who are more knowledgeable about the Quran than the local community, which at that time was predominantly a Malayan Indian Muslim community. Now they interact, you know, came across people that are black Africans, but they're half with the Quran. Some of them, I've met a Somali who was hafid of Bukha, the entire Sahih Bukhari. And, and to, I mean, you can imagine what a feat that is. And through this interaction, it brought me closer to my interaction with my father being involved with the Somalis. I also now interacted with the Somalis. And then and it brought me from the da'wah of Sheikh Ahmadidat, which was more comparative religion. And my father always... He was someone who was attached to the Quran. I remember very fondly, I was uh, morning sitting after Fajr in the morning. He would tell me, Yusuf, go get the Quran. And I must open the Quran and read any passage from the Quran. But he used to tell me, no, read it, but then read the English translation. And he used to always emphasize, read the English translation because you understand English. You can read the Arabic and get the barakah for, for reading the Arabic, but read the English because then you are taking a message from the Quran. And we used to sit and used to discuss with me in a certain ayat, even though I was young. And you sit and listen to me and ask me my opinion on certain things. And, uh, you know, that also, together now with meeting the Somali brothers and getting maybe a deeper insight because many of them, were, well, they were ulama that um, I interacted with. And then I realized, no, but, but, you know, there's more than just reading the Qur'an and taking a good message. The Qur'an, there's a little bit, you can go a bit deeper into it. And then I met uh, one brother uh, from Algeria. Uh, he, uh, we all knew him as Abu Usama. Uh, his name was Muhammad. And he knew me also because, and this is another thing which I must thank my father for. He was a man whose heart, I can say, was attached to the masjid. I have still to meet anyone who was as punctual and conscientious of his salah as my father. He would plan his day around his salah. If he knew that he had certain meetings, and in fact, uh, okay, that's another thing I'll tell you afterwards, but because of his attachment to the masjid, he would ensure if I'm at home, there's no way I can be at home and he goes to the masjid without me. You know, beware the day that I'm not ready to go to the masjid when he's ready to go, ready to leave. And because of being involved in the, with, and going to the masjid with him, I was spotted by this brother Abu Usama from Algeria. And he one day called me and he said, look, he's having a gathering at home of some youth and he wants me also to come. I didn't know what to expect. I never really knew him that well. I just know I used to see him in the masjid. Uh, whenever I used to go to the masjid, he was there. And I met him. And then he introduced me to this halqa. And I, and I, he explained what the halqa was all about. And he said, look, it's nothing new. This is the, it comes from the sunnah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to sit with the sahaba and he used to teach them the Quran. And they used to meet at the house of the, uh, Darul Arqam. And at Darul Arqam, he used to uh, sit with the sahaba and teach them the Qur'an. He said, today we don't have Rasulullah with us, but we have the Qur'an, and we have the books of Hadith. So by sitting together and discussing the Qur'an, we are actually reviving a sunnah. But the Qur'an is not only about reading and philosophizing about it, or, you know, reading the melodious recitation, and, you know, being in awe of how beautifully the Qur'an is structured in terms of the melody, or the philosophizing about the you know, how the Qur'an speaks about science and all. That, that, it's in the, that is in the Qur'an. There is science in the Qur'an. But the Qur'an was not revealed for us to just to discuss. And he actually, Abu Usama, introduced this whole notion and the idea, which at that time was revolutionary you know, to me, is that the Qur'an, read the Qur'an, and i never forget this. He says, Yusuf, this is a quotation from Alama Iqbal, you know, the famous Pakistani uh, philosopher. He said, 
I never understood the Quran until my father told me to read the Quran as though it was being revealed to me. You know, and he said, Yusuf, read the Quran with this perspective that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to you, he's instructing you, and he's telling you what to do and what not to do. And when I read the Quran like this, I said, Wow, you know. And then we used to emphasize, then he said, Look, this this system which it's you know, it's not nothing new. But in fact he showed me which is recorded in the books of Sirah, how the Sahaba used to read Quran. They would read together maybe one, not more than ten ayat. They would understand the meaning. Rasulullah would explain to them what the meaning was. And they would take instruction from it and implement it, practice it. And that's when the Quran, you know, really becomes transformational. When you put into practice what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is instructing you. And uh, I've, you know, that that has really given me I think it's it's changed my life. It has changed my life. It had an impact on my family. It's uh, it, it's really Allah alone knows you know what the extent of the impact was. But I thought now then I need to now you know, take this to to other youth and introduce youth to this whole idea of you know practicing the Quran, implementing the Quran, making the Quran alive in your life. Um, and that's how we got in contact with each other. And Alhamdulillah, there's a, there's a beautiful hadith which I came across later. Was that I don't know the the wording is not exactly as it is, but the, the general meaning is that in the realm of the souls, right before we were sent to earth, the, the souls that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala had created, and the souls that were together in this realm before we were sent to earth. They recognize each other and familiarize each other with each other in this realm. And when they come to earth, these same souls recognize one another. When they meet each other in the dunya, they recognize each other and they they feel that bond which they had before they were sent to earth. And this is mentioned in Hadith. And somehow, when, like, you know, with some brothers, you meet them, you don't know, you know how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made your paths cross. But the moment you meet, there's a connection, you know. And alhamdulillah, I felt that with, with you two brothers and with some of our other brothers that are close to us. There's that bond that is between us, which I believe is, and, and our bond is based on the Quran. We don't do business together, right? We, we don't um, do uh, any any worldly things together, but we, we have a brotherhood, which you know, it doesn't matter, if we, even if we don't see each other for a while. You know, but that connection is there. And that is such a great blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, which I believe is based on the Quran. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us, you know, together for that reason, you know, for his sake, be a reason for us uh, entering into Jannah, inshallah. Halalka means everything you just said. <laughs> it's, it's something, if there's a legacy I would like to leave for my kids, it's, some, it's the halaka, seriously. Uh, Yusuf talks about this transformational aspect of Quran. Hanala, <laughs> this is not my uh, program about me, but uh, the effect that my first meeting at Halakha with Yusuf at Rosmid, it was mind blowing. It, it changed my whole uh, direction. It changed my whole uh, lifestyle. And, and as we know, people always say Quran is not um, Quran. Islam is not a religion. It's it's, it's actually a, a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, a way we live. And I believe that uh, Halakha has actually given me definition to to our definition of living with purpose. Subhanallah, uh, it's 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 it was it's really amazing. And I, I, I'll touch on another story later, but uh, uh, yeah, Halakha was very important to me. So, so what is your favorite? Very difficult question. But what is your favorite ayah or story? In the Quran, besides Surah Yusuf. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, Surah Yusuf has got special, uh, and it's, it's a special surah for us, uh, you know, the brothers that were in Halakha, because for many reasons, but uh, you know, now's not the time to touch on that. But the, the two ayat come to mind when you speak about favorite ayat, and both of them are somehow related to my father. Um, the one is uh, an ayah which he always used to quote to us and that is the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this ayah inna allaha la yughayru ma biqawmin hatta yughayru ma bi'anfusihim that never does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala change the condition of a people until 
they change what is within themselves. And uh, this is something which uh, and I firmly believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for him to change the condition of the ummah from you know this condition or the state that we are in now of uh, you know upheaval and despair, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to change that condition to something positive, it is but it can happen in the blink of an eye. But we must be worthy of it and we must be deserving of it. Um, so we need to make the effort. If we make an effort to change ourselves, from ourselves we change our families, from our families we can start making a change in our communities, from our communities we can transform society. And from society, who knows, you know, we transform the world you know, gradually, step by step. And this is you know, how Islam radiates. Who would have believed that one person in the middle of the desert 1437 years ago would have been able to have the impact that we have now where Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world today. We have, they say, nearly 2 billion Muslims in the world today. All started with one man. And uh, subhanAllah, if, if we all have that attitude, it's not that we want to see numbers, no. But if we all do a little bit, you know, and it starts with ourselves, we try and make the small changes within ourselves. We don't expect to become the most pious person. And this is why the, 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 another aspect of the, of the halakha, that it's slow but gradual but consistent change. You, emph- you, you emphasize an implementation of one aspect, and if we can just change one aspect in our character, one, you know, step by step, and being in contact and surrounding yourselves with brothers that remind you of good, you know, direct you towards the good, that you know, it has an impact on you. And really, I mean, again, I can only speak of my personal experience. Just by myself being involved with brothers like yourselves and being in Halakha for, you know, it, it, and the impact it's had on me, it's it's like almost radiated to the family, to, to family members. And I've seen people change, people in the family uh, being impacted by the Halakha, even though they're not involved in it. Um, so that that ayah for me is very important. It's a beautiful ayah that you know it's very dear to my heart. And there's one ayah which is a very personal story. Uh, it's uh, about my my father, also related to my dad. Um, after he passed away, because he was so pivotal to our family, it was very difficult for him, for my mother to even remove his clothes from his cupboard after he passed away. And months had passed, and she never cleared his cupboard. Eventually, I told my mother, I said, you know, I sat with her and I said, you know, Mom, we have to do it sometime. You know, we have to clear his cupboard and what better than to give his clothes to a charity. He would have probably had wanted, wanted us to do something like that to someone to benefit from it. And there was, as I was clearing his cupboard, there was one black, uh, he had this black jacket that he used to wear for Fajr in the mornings. And I knew that in this jacket he had a Quran. Because his habit was always to go to Fajr early and he would sit and read his Quran before Salah starts. And he had it in his Quran, he, in, in his pocket, uh, in the jacket, he had the Quran. And I knew it was always there. He kept it in that jacket. So I took the jacket and the first thing I did was I, I looked for the Quran. And I took the Quran out of his pocket. It's a, it's a translation Quran. There's no Arabic in there. It's just the English translation. And when I opened the Quran... The, f- the first page that I opened, it was Surah Ali Imran, ayah number 160. When I opened it, it was highlighted. And it was highlighted with a uh, highlighter. And the ayah, the, the ayah is, if I remember correctly, if, if Allah helps you, who is there that can harm you? But if Allah forsakes you, who is there after that that can help you? In Allah, should the believers put their trust? And when I read this, I uh, actually broke down because to me, it was almost because I wasn't there at the time my dad passed away. He passed away in Port Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wasn't there at the time. So I never had a chance to like actually, you know, just... Closure. Yeah. Uh, one thing I can say for sure that, you know, or what, or what gives me like, consolation is that there's nothing that... I left unsaid to him. I told him whatever I wanted to. There's nothing like afterwards that I can say, you know, I wish I told him that I loved him. I told him that many times and he knew that. Uh, and I'm confident that he knew that. 
But it's just that I wasn't there at the time when he passed away. It was this. This was almost like now parting words from him to me. You know the way I took it, I accepted it. Is that you know this out of all the ayat in in, in the Quran, I opened up on this page and that ayah was highlighted. And I thought to myself, you know, how beautiful an advice. And we know the Quran is full of be- of beautiful advice. But just to put your trust in Allah at all times. You know, sometimes things seem very difficult things seem almost impossible but put your trust in Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide a way out for you out of any difficulty when you're faced with decisions you don't know which decision to make put your trust in Allah seek help from Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide you through, through anything put your trust in Allah and Allah will be there for you indeed put your trust in Allah Zahid you, you can talk about that put your trust in Allah uh, yes, certainly trusting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something which I think everybody needs to do. It will give you direction. It will give you a contentment, I think. And, and, and listen to Yusuf, subhanAllah. His trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually gave him uh, a bit of contentment, even though he wasn't there at the bedside when yeah. his father passed away. And then he stumbles across this verse in, in, in the father's jacket. Uh, subhanAllah, that's by no accident again. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it was meant to be. Just listen to Yusuf as well. Um, it seems that education, or rather formal education, mm. is not necessarily a prerequisite to success. Mm. How do you define success? Then? <laughs> How do you define success? That's actually, again, <laughs> somehow I always relate things to my father. You know? <laughs> I, can't, I can't help it. Uh, he was he was really such a good example, I believe, to me, and uh, and I thank Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for for giving me a father. It was a good example. And I, only thing I can do is try and be a similar example to my kids. Um, the uh, if I look at his life, for example, right? If I meet people today, they will still tell me and speak to me about my father, and they will they'll they'll speak to me, uh, you know, especially people that I, that I maybe never met since he passed away. He passed away sixteen years ago. But if I meet people today, I promise you, they still speak to me about my father. And the things they speak about is all the things that he did for others. They'll speak about his involvement in the community. They'll speak about his involvement with Ahmadidat. They'll speak about, you know, um, what what he did for this one or that one. I have yet to meet any person that's, that tells me, hey, your father had uh, 12 branches of Rosmid at one time, you know. And he did. I mean, he, he built up the business from a small corner shop to, at one stage, it was a chain store of 12 supermarkets. And, in fact, he's a, his accountant and, and attorney at that time. Many people don't know that my father and Raymond Ackerman went into supermarketing at the same time, more or less the same time. And there was a time when his accountant advised him to list the company. But, you know, my father told him, my father said, uh, his name was uh, Benny Schlossberg, father's accountant. He said, you know, Benny, I never went into business to become a millionaire or billionaire. He said, I never went into business for that. He said, I went into business to provide for my family. Amazing. Yeah, right? And uh, he said, uh, as long as I'm able to provide for my family and sleep at night, uh, put my head on the pillow and sleep, and every all my family has, has eaten, I'm satisfied. And um, if I if I look at that, I believe uh, to me that was also an uh, it's an it's a lesson that you know success is not in you can't measure success in terms of your you know what your worldly accum- you know what you've accumulated in terms of material things. Your success, uh, I believe, is in is measured in terms of you living according to your highest values. If you can live according a life in uh, in accordance uh, with your principles and your values, I believe you are successful. And um, it, it, I mean, values de- different differ from one person to another. And um, you know, so so to me that that is success. So our next question was the values. Yeah. What are your three most important values? <laughs> Oh, my three, my three most important values, I'd say at the top of the list would be truthfulness or honesty. 
and that starts with being true to yourself truth, truthful in, gen, in general but including being true to yourself second value respect uh, to have respect uh, general, generally to have respect for yourself <laughs> for those who are close to you have respect for everyone treat people with respect and the third value perhaps say is compassion to be um, considerate of other people I think uh, I don't know sometimes uh, I you know, it, it can be seen as a weakness by some people and especially the society we're living in today maybe those values could be considered weaknesses you know. but at the end of the day like I said uh, I see myself as a traveler this this life is not the end it's not the goal it's not the objective we are heading to a much better place you know. so yeah, I'd say those are three that come to mind maybe there are others that so Yusuf, traveler seeking shade, may yeah. Allah grant you the shade. Really appreciate you coming here. And Brother Zahir, I'm sure you can confirm that I've learned more about Brother Yusuf's father. <laughs> uh, um, but it's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Shukran for having me. Shukran. Yusuf ibn Saleh Muhammad. Jazakallah <laughs> for being with us. You've certainly inspired me once again to look at my myself and, 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 and live with purpose or continue to try and live with purpose not only for myself but my family Amen. so thank you for taking the time out to be part of this accidentalmuslim.com this movement, this platform Amen. we are trying to create um, feel free to share yeah. to tell people about it and, uh, and remember um, accidentalmuslim.com is not about just people who are in the lofty positions of leadership mm. but we believe here at accidentalmuslim.com that everybody has this potential to lead one act can actually take you higher uh, and further than you can ever imagine. So um, we wish you all the best. We wish you for you and your family only the best. And and may Allah grant your your father uh, highest place in Jannah. Assalamu alaikum, Yusuf. Wa alaikum